Salut! Welcome to Popcorn on Your Knee. Movie reviews from viewers like you. We're your hosts, Justin and Kelly. And today we continue through our 100 movie bucket list with Amelie, the 2001 film directed by Jean-Pierre Junette. As always, we break down our podcast into three parts. The first part, we talk about the cast and crew. And then in Act 2, we discuss some fun facts, some trivia maybe behind the film. And then Act 3, we discuss our thoughts on the movie and give our candy score reviews. So we begin with uh, our very own summaries of this of the movie. And then I think this week, we'll give an actual <laughs> summary of the movie. Um, because we will assume that many of our listeners, like us, have never seen this movie before. We just assume that you are viewers like us. So here's my summary. It's a film kind of like Deadpool, except it's in French, and Deadpool is a French girl. And instead of vigilante justice, it's more like vigilante good deeds and without the violence and language. Wow. That's interesting. (laughs) Pretty close, pretty spot on. Not at all. Okay, fine. Your summaries are funny. (laughs) All right, what what you got there, Gum? What's your summary? (laughs) Okay, Deadpool. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a little while. I just, you know, like, you know, because he would go about in very quirky ways, doling out his version of justice, and Amelie, in very quirky ways, doled out her version of good deeds. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> okay, that's okay. what's going. That's what you got. Okay, and it was funny. It's a funny film. It is funny. Yeah, it, we laughed about as much as we laughed at Deadpool too. That's right. Also, very Not similar Deadpool to Deadpool. Too. All right. So my <laughs> okay, my summary is an eccentric loner who has been content to live within her own fantasies decides to interfere for good in the miserable lives of the people she interacts with daily. Only to have the bounds of her own heart tested. Oh, yeah, I, I would think that's accurate. So using using that, let's kind of break down what what actually happens in this film. So spoiler alert uh, ahead. If you haven't seen the film, we'll be discussing you know, somewhat in detail. Uh, obviously, uh, yeah, the, the film, yeah, some of the scenes, and maybe after listening to our review, you go, oh, that sounds interesting. I think I'd want to see it. Or maybe you would go, no, nah, I could pass. Uh, or if you have seen the film, maybe this will be a good refresher for you. So what actually happens in this movie? What What's it about? Well, there's this little girl, Amelie, and she's born to these two parents who pretty much like her mom is really strict. And then her dad is really uninvolved. Yes. Like, doesn't really have anything to do with her. And so he assumes that Amelie has a heart defect because the only time he ever interacts with her is on her yearly checkup. And it makes her so, like, excited that her dad is actually spending time with her that her heart beats really fast. So they think that she has a heart defect. Yeah, that she has a heart defect. And so because of that... They, like, take her out of school. They don't yep. let her travel anywhere. She's basically a loner at home. Right, very isolated. Isolated. And then she grows up. Her mother dies. <laughs> and it's just her and her dad. And so she earns enough money to go into... Because they live in the country. And she moves to Montmartre, Paris. Okay. And she is in a waitress yes. in this cafe. Anyway, that's kind of like... A summary That's of the beginning the, the of the story. Of it, yeah. The setup of the story. Good. And then the action of the, the film starts to take off when Amelie is in her little apartment there in Paris. And she's holding a, a, a bottle. Um, it's got a big heavy bottle cap on it. And she hears the report of Princess Di's death. 
It causes her to drop the bottle cap, which then rolls over and knocks loose uh, a tile in her bathroom. And then yeah, she, then she moves, moves the tile, the tile yeah, yeah, and discovers that there's a, a little tin, uh, box. tin box with some toys in it. And she takes it upon herself then that I'm going to find the person who this belongs to. Yeah. And that starts then, uh, and she has a moment there where she says, if... If I give it, if mm-hmm. I find them and I give it to them, uh, and you know, and it makes them happy, then I will start off on my uh, my journey of making people happy. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't make them happy, oh well. So that's what she does. She finds the person. <laughs> she gives it to him. She sort of makes a deal with herself, yeah. with her soul. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you have this, you know, character that grew up in in you know very kind of lonely, isolated mm-hmm. circumstance. And, you know, somewhere around the age of 20, 21 or so, uh, she's looking at her life and realizing, I'm still isolated. I work in this cafe and There's I don't... all these people, these regulars that come in yeah. and I don't really know them. I right. don't speak to them. I just do my work and I observe from the, from the outside. Right. Um, but she has so much... What would you call it? Uh, joie de vivre. <laughs> joy of life oh, inside of her. Right. Kelly knows some French. I do. So. I know a little French. Um, but yeah, so it's that she's not, people will think she's quirky and eccentric, but she just has a vast imagination because yes. that's what she's lived with. She's created characters for herself. She had imaginary friends when she was little. So she sees things through different kind of eyes. And so, so her, do we, when we're watching the movie. Yeah, very right. true. Yeah. So her little plan works. She, mm-hmm. she finds uh, the, the man. He, obviously, he was a boy when he, and he hid the toy box there uh, and, and it had been you know, about 40 years or so. Later, she mm-hmm. tracks him down, gives it to him, and, um, and nothing's ever straightforward with her. So she doesn't just give it to him. No. Um, that makes she, you scary. <laughs> right. She, she leaves it in a place that he finds it, and then she's, she's watching him. He responds so beautifully to it. Uh, he realizes that he has his own children that he hasn't talked to in years. And, and, and so hasn't met his grandson yeah. and it's time because life is too short. So. so it works so well then that Amelie decides I am going to start doing this with all of the people that I interact. It's with. almost treated like <laughs> a sacred calling yes. in her life. You yeah. know, yep. she needs to do this with everyone. What is the thing that they're missing? And yes. she's going to make it happen. Along the way, we have also discovered that she has a certain twist of justice as well. So yes. if there is, we learned this when she like was little. Deadpool. Like Deadpool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she also, when she sees injustices, a couple of injustices yes. or things that people being jerks, then she has also a really smart and sophisticated way of fixing that too. While she's doling out either these these good deeds or this her sense of justice um like we said it, it's never uh it's never a straightforward task no she, nobody she, would know she's doing it at all right like, she never t- tells anybody or anything yeah. some of the most complicated ways of of getting people to <laughs> where she thinks they they need to be but it's so cute yes oh, my gosh. Soup, oh it's sweet and well, funny and she's then, got this neighbor who is an artist a painter um, and she meets him. He's much older and feeble. He's called the glass man. Mm-hmm. And he kind of starts mentoring her, yeah. I guess you would say. And he sort of knows. He watches her. Yes, he's and watching. And he observes mm-hmm. her. Um, he's called glass man because he has this condition where his bones are really fragile and yep. they would break. And so um, this medical condition. Anyway, so he observes her moves 
and um, and plays a really important part in her life. And then her father um, is the only person she really sees outside of the people in the city. Right. And their relationship is still pretty distant. And then along the way, she uh, discovers that she may be falling in love with somebody that she's encountered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the glass man kind of helps her, you know, kind of pushes her along. You know, you're, you're messing in all these other people's lives. Don't forget about your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a the, the brief, there's our brief summary as to mm-hmm. kind of what happens in the movie. Yeah. And as we're going through some of the special things, I'm sure like some of the scenes I'll need to... Yeah, we'll elaborate those on those. So uh, the film is directed by Jean-Pierre Junette. Uh, it is in uh, French, um, subtitled in English. And it was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Cinematography, mm-hmm. Sound, and Best Foreign Language Film. Though it lost that year mm-hmm. in the Foreign Language Film category uh, to No Man's Land, which we haven't seen about uh, about Bosnia. This is two thousand one, um, mm. and so it didn't walk away with any Oscars. It did win four Caesar Awards, yeah, which is sort of like the the, the French, French Oscars, Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nominated and won several other awards, BAFTA awards, and mm-hmm. a really well received film. It uh, do you have the numbers on the budget? It, it made it like yeah. So it actually brought in a hundred and what was it? One hundred and seventy four million dollars mm-hmm. worldwide. And $33.2 million in the U.S. alone. Nice. Which actually makes it the highest grossing French film. French? That's hard to say. Highest grossing mm-hmm. French film in the U.S. Ever. Ever. Yeah. To date. So as we usually do here, we, we go over some of the cast. Now, these are all French actors uh, with a lot of French television and, and, and film credits to their name. Almost nothing that we recognized. Uh, and so probably most of our American audience wouldn't recognize them. So we're not going to spend too much time on them. We have Audrey Tato. Tato. We <laughs> Tato. Have, we have Audrey Tato as Amelie. This was probably her first big film. Um, she had done a couple before this, uh, or at least it's her, her best known film. After this, she goes back and she does some, some French films. And then she does star in The Da Vinci Code. As mm-hmm. Sophie there, so kind of the female lead opposite Tom Hanks in Da Vinci Code. And she is Gabrielle Chanel in Coco Before yeah, Chanel. Coco Before Chanel. Yeah. yeah, that's where I actually recognize her from. Kind of the, the male lead in this, Matthew Kasovitz as Nino. He acts and directs, he's actually a filmmaker, also mm-hmm. in numerous French films. Uh, in the U.S., he only directed, I believe, Gothica which starred Halle Berry and Penelope Cruz. Other than that, I don't think he's done other uh, U.S. films. He did have a small role in as an actor in The Fifth Element and in Spielberg's Munich. Huh, how about that? Which I thought we had seen, but then I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, no, we no, haven't seen we Munich. Haven't seen it. Playing Amelie's father mm-hmm. is uh, an actor known by the stage name Rufus. Mm-hmm. And like, that's it. That's like, it. that's how that's, he's yep. known. Like, Prince. <laughs> he's Rufus. Very much so, yeah. Uh, he stars in a lot of French television, and he is in many of the films that are directed by Jean-Pierre Junet, so the director mm-hmm. of Amelie. And as, as you look over some of the films that this director has done, he uses a lot of the same cast. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see... Like, like they're a company. Yep. yep. That's so sweet. It's, it's very cool. The last one that I'll mention here, uh, Dominique Pignon as Joseph. 
Uh, he is one of the guys that comes into the cafe and kind of stalks some of the waitresses. And he's he's one of the guys that's in a lot of, of Junot's other films. And he's in Alien Resurrection, if you have seen that. <laughs> I think that's number four in the Alien film <laughs> franchise. But that film was directed by... Junette. Junette, thank you, which we'll talk about here. You know who he reminds me of? Yep. This actor, this character... The stalker character. Who? <laughs> What's his name? What's his name in the film? Um, Joseph. Joseph. Right. That's right. He reminds me of, in Ratatouille, the chef that nobody really knows anything about. The, the one who has, like, I could kill you with this thumb. Yeah. Like, yeah. he reminds yeah. me of him yep. as far as, like, his looks and how he just yeah. sits there and sort of just listens and tape records the woman and the speaking. And, yeah, he Not necessarily him. somebody that you would want to cross. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm thinking this. Talk a second here about the director, Jean-Pierre Junet. Junet. We'll try that every time. <laughs> he is widely regarded as one of the most influential and important directors yep, it could in be modern Junet, now that I'm French thinking about it. cinema. He, he's like the Spielberg of French film. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. As a young director in France, he gets noticed for his quirky mix of fantasy and realism, which you see all throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems like it's set up to be, you know, just sort of kind of a romantic drama, but it's a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And, and just his stylized use of film, uh, you know, kind of emphasizes some of those fantastical parts of it. Uh, and also his ability to focus on something mundane and make it interesting, like the cracking of the creme brulee. Of the creme brulee, as he gets uh, some some fame in for his French films, of course Hollywood's going to notice and go, "Hey, we want you to come over here and direct something for us. How about this big summer blockbuster that we have planned, starring Sigourney Weaver returning?" In Alien, the Resurrection. <laughs> it also includes sounds like his lane. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. Yeah, it, I, and it was the only one that he did in the U.S. And he was like, yeah. "Yeah, not not what he's about." And it was the only one that he of his films that he didn't help write. And it was just kind of oh, like, yeah. "All right." So there That's was that. Odd. I have seen Alien Resurrection, and it's not memorable at all. He, he after he does that, then he films Amelie. Uh, <laughs> it was like I need to resurrect it. I need a revolution. After Amelie, he he makes a very long engagement with uh, starring also Audrey uh, Tato and Jodie Foster, and then after that, he struggles to get funding for hmm. some of his quirky you know, projects, and he makes a comment that if no one's going to fund him, he may have to go to Netflix. And coming soon to Netflix. Hmm. Big Bug is scheduled <laughs> for Big release. Bug. Yeah, which let me read you the uh, the summary of of what Big Bug is going to be about. Here you go. A group of bickering suburbanites find nice. themselves stuck together when an android uprising causes their well-intentioned household robots to lock them in for their own safety. Nice. <laughs> Is I that, could get behind that. Yeah, it's that very thing where you, you think it's going to be, oh, it's this, you know, nice uh, film about roommates that are taken over by their android robot. But I can tell, like, when you were talking about android, but I love that because it's AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's AI taking over, and I'm sure the androids are, you know, 
very human-like. Sure. You know, and anything about that, I mean, the thing that I have noticed from Amelie is uh, he knows how to write characters. Mm, Absolutely. And so, big bug. I think I could probably dig it. (laughs) We'll, We'll see. With that, we will take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Remember going to toy stores? Not stores with toys, but toy stores, where as soon as you entered the door, you knew this place was built just for you. The bright wonder that filled every aisle of toy after toy, promising endless delight and imagination. I miss that, don't you? Endless bliss. Friendly staff who knew and loved toys as much as you do. And when you left, you were holding just the right toy. One you would not only play with, but one you would grow with and love for generations. Jughead and Beans is bringing that kind of joy back to the toy shopping experience. Each of their thoughtfully crafted toys is opened and played with by a child to check the fun factor. Each of their beautifully curated books is shared at bedtime, sometimes under covers with a flashlight, to test for imaginative power. And each of their deliciously concocted treats is tried by, oh, who am I kidding? Me, everyone, (laughs) to see how fast the smiles spread. At Jughead and Beans, you not only find a toy for a child, you find fun for everyone. Visit them today at JugheadandBeans.com, and we hope soon to a town near you. Fun for kids at every age. Toys, Tales, and Treats. And we're back with Act Two. (laughs) Fun facts behind the film. Kelly, what'd you find for us this week? Well, when I ever go digging into the fun facts of film, (laughs) I run across probably the same uh, sourcing, because there's certain websites out there that that's their thing. Is what are the facts? What right, are the right. what are the behind the scenes things you might not know about these films? So, you know, IMDb is a great source for mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I also come across Mental Floss, um, Love Mental that Floss. website. You know, so it's a fun website too. I wanted to kind of give a shout out to them so as my yeah. sources for these. All right, so um, in the film, one of the ways that Amelie de-stresses mm-hmm. herself is to skip stones. So she finds all these flat stones and she sees them and throughout the film, she'll even like collect them. You'll see her find a stone that's smooth and would be a good skipping stone and she'll uh, put it in her pocket, right, to collect. Well, Audrey Teto actually doesn't know how to skip stones. Oh, really? Yeah, that was all added in later with special effects. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty aggressive stone. Just throw it. Stone skipping. (laughs) We'll cut the film there. (laughs) Just... Sit like this and aim it like this and we'll take care of the rest. The crew had to clean the areas where they filmed so that there would be a fantastic nature to the film. So when you're in Montmartre and other areas of Paris, which, by the way, there were like over 80 different Parisian locations that this film was shot in. Okay. So, yeah. 80 different spots around the city. But when you're there, it's very modern. Mm-hmm. And this is supposed to be a modern film. I mean, sure. Princess Di's accident was right. in 97. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we are. And yeah. so you're the going film, to have... This film comes out in 2001. So, I mean, it's supposed to be you know, up, up to date. Up to time. date, yeah. right. Contemporary. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's lots of graffiti all over the mm. city. But in this film, you don't see any graffiti yeah. until the end, right. specifically. And, you know, he replaced um, certain advertisements or posters or things and replaced them with more colorful ones that would mm-hmm. fit the color scheme of the film. They would clean all the trash, <laughs> you yeah. know, that's yeah. on the streets and everything because he wanted it to have this be in the in the the viewpoint of Amelie, which she okay. lives in this kind of heady, cloudy, fantasy kind of world, right? So with all of his colors and everything. So Paris is not as clean <laughs> as it appears in the film. See, I'm glad you brought this up because this was this was one of the one of the criticisms I've seen mm-hmm. of the film is that this doesn't look like Paris at all. Oh, it looks <laughs> well, I would disagree. It looks like Paris. Okay. I felt yeah. like cuz when they go into the subway system, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that w- could have been any of the corners yeah. I stood around when I was there." But there's no trash. <laughs> and right, there is right. trash. I mean, it's not like other cities that I've been to here yeah. in the US where there's trash. Like the littering isn't so much of an issue, but it's things like there's graffiti art, a right, lot of graffiti right. art, and so this is more like if someone were going to do a painting of Paris. Sure. Right. What, Which what I think would, fits with the film. Absolutely does. Yeah. Too. Okay. Um, so they, I was wondering how they accomplished that. So they had to go through and clean. They went through and actually cleaned. Nice. And it was the hardest when they were in the train stations because oh, those bet. are the dirtiest yeah. parts. Yeah. Um, just because you have everyone coming from all over Europe yeah. into Paris from, from there. The main colors, then talking about that, are green, yellow, and red that okay. you see. I noticed the green mostly because mm-hmm. it was a green toaster and I just thought that was odd. Like, oh, well, there would yeah. be a green toaster. And there was one day in the cafe where it, it looked like almost everybody was wearing green. Mm. Like, why is everybody in green? <laughs> and then I think Amelie that day was wearing red. So, I mean, okay. there's just diff- it would be neat to watch it again and yeah, see yeah, where yeah. he's placing the colors. Um, they wanted that warmth. There's right. a Brazilian artist, I think, Brazilian, yeah, artist that he took the inspiration from his his work. If there's blue in the film, he added that post mm, okay. uh, production mm. because blue is a cold color. Yeah. So it was very specifically added. So just kind of things like that. Which, you know, he, he was very, Jeanette was very adept at putting things in this movie that connect to some other part of culture. Okay. So you would see something and you'd be like, oh, that's by a, uh, from a book by so-and-so, or right. that's in a music lyric by da-da-da-da. But most all of it's European, so right. we so, yeah, didn't so connect we to it. it. Okay. I was like, what is all this stuff? Yeah. So the things that she's watching on TV, like newsreels and right, different things, right. those were actual events that would have okay. happened in history. And so that's very purposeful, yeah. even up to some of the characters' names. Um, Jeanette actually began collecting memories and events for Amelie uh, that make up the story in 1974. Oh, wow. So I thought that was cool because sometimes you get ideas and you start collecting things and you just trash them because they don't go anywhere. But he didn't. He always played that long game for this story. So I thought it was cool. Um, That's inspiring. It is inspiring. Hang on to your ideas there, kids. Right. Or grown people that have had ideas in a box for a long time. Oh, kind of like the tin that she finds. Uh That's kind of a cool little twist there. Um, You can actually visit two of the places that in um, Montmartre, the cafe, which is um, Cafe du Moulin. They had to take the chairs after the movie. They had to take the chairs that are used on the outside and change them because they didn't want people to steal them. (laughs) So they just changed the chairs to try to be like, what? These were not the chairs used in the movie. We'll yeah. leave them alone. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, but they were given the gnome 
Oh. So the gnome in the movie plays a certain kind of interesting role. Yes. The, um, Amelie's father has this garden gnome that his wife didn't like. And so it had stayed in the garage yeah. like the whole time. And he was getting it out and cleaning it up and putting it next to her shrine that yes. he had made outside. After his wife had died. After his wife yeah. had died. Right. Years after his wife had died. <laughs> Many years. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because Amelie was like right. 10 so probably, or yeah. so. So 10 years or so. Yeah. He finally decides to get the gnome. I'm going to get the okay. gnome out and we're going to put it there. Well, Amelie steals the gnome and gives it to a flight attendant friend of hers yeah. to travel around the world with it. Now, some of you may remember that in England and France in the 90s, mm-hmm. there was a prank of gnomes. <laughs> and being stolen from people's yards and gardens and things that actually was an event. And so uh, anytime we get like that whole idea of like, I'm going to steal the garden gnome yeah. that came from the late nineties where okay. it was actually happening. There was um, a French court convicted the leader of the garden gnome liberation front. That's what it was called for stealing over 150 gnomes. <laughs> and then this, international online travel company used it for their promotion. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's where... Uh, the gnome what, and the... Yeah, what yeah. was the company? I don't remember. But I remember oh, that being like... And he. that's probably why you said while we were watching it, oh, I bet she's using postcards. Mm-hmm. That the gnome is, who was is the, doing it. Oh, you're going to stop and look gnome? it up? Yes. It well, was, anyway, uh, so it was all because her father was isolating himself in the house and she wants him to go travel and to get out of the house. So she she actually makes him jealous of the gnome because the gnome gets to go all over the world. Yeah, because her friend is is taking pictures uh, and sending it to... And sending it. Yeah, (laughs) sending them to the father. Like, how is the gnome traveling and sending me all these these pictures? Anyway, so the second... The the gnome, I was saying... Oh, it's Travelocity. Yeah. Is it Travelocity? Oh, okay. Anyway, so then the gnome was given to the actual owners of... Um, the Café du Moulin. Oh, cool. But someone stole it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Blast. you know, what do you do? The second place that you can visit is the fruit and vegetable um, oh, okay. market. Yeah. And the market is actually called Collignon, which was the last name of the jerk, the jerk who, who ran, ran it, was okay. Mr. Collignon. But that's the name of the market. So if you're ever in Montmartre and you see a vegetable fruit market, grocery place, and it's called Collignon, yeah. that's where it is. Most people go to the cafe, though, because yeah. it's right there on the corner. It's obvious. It's red. And they have a creme brulee named after Amelie now. And most of the people who do a, a review mm-hmm. <laughs> of the restaurant uh, will mention the movie. Okay. So it's yeah. very much hand in hand there. There, uh, in the beginning sequence, which I was captured at first by the beginning because it's so odd <laughs> when they're telling the story of Amelie's beginning. Yes. <laughs> um, and we don't know what to expect, of course, because we're like, what is a French film and where are we going with this? But right. there is a sequence where there's a woman and you see her growing pregnant. Yes. Pretty quickly, right? That is actually a film, a short film that was awarded for um in a film festival one first prize in a film festival for like ingenuity or like experimentation or something like that it's called 17 seconds to sophie okay and it was actually created by someone and on a 16 millimeter yeah and they didn't change anything in the background they didn't change anything so that it would only be her stomach her womb (laughs) that grew and her hair i think her hair changed length throughout the thing i guess they sold it to 
Uh, Amelie <laughs> to be used as used this quick little 17 second thing. So I That's thought that was, and there's yeah. things like that throughout, you know, it's like this right, is other people's right. artwork or inspirations, which I think is very French. There's also in the opening scene when the crew names are being listed, you know, lighting by, uh-huh. sound by, and I totally missed this when we were watching it. I want to go back and see it again. Young Amelie is seen playing with different toys, you know, like she's right, like, right. she's doing things that I'm like, Wow, I used to do that as a kid, like pe- putting glue on her hand and laying it dry and peeling yes. it off, making the weird sound with her ears and her hands. Wah, 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 wah. Right. <laughs> she's got little origami things that she's dealing with. Yeah. She's actually supposedly displaying each of the crew jobs. Oh, that's fun. Oh, huh. Yeah. And I was okay. just watching this little girl doing all of these fun playing things and not even paying attention to yeah. what we were yeah. reading, apparently. But I thought that was really cool. Uh, again, the movie was shot in over 80 Parisian locations. All the apartment interiors were shot in Germany okay. because of uh, tax relief. Uh. <laughs> it was cheaper <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I mean, he usually, Jeanette usually would work on a studio, in a studio, right, because right. he liked to have the control. I mean, it'd be really difficult to shoot a movie. Like, the people who shoot movies in New York City, right, like, what right, parts right. of it do you actually shoot in the city? What parts of it are on sound stages? Because there's so much lack of control, weather, you know, when the sun sets, right? That right. kind of a thing. But it would have been so astronomically expensive to recreate Montmartre mm. in a because it's so ornate yeah. that he just brought in cleaning crews and they were all like, okay, let's make it look really nice right here and then do that, which was good for the city. And probably a relief from having been in a film studio making alien resurrection <laughs> right give me out let me go. See, let me sense. let me feel all things unless he actually filmed that in space but i don't think he does. I, yeah, don't think so don't think so um the name amelie was very unused very yeah. um unique name in the year 2000 which was the year before the film came out mm-hmm. only 12 babies in england and wales had that name in 2002 the year after the movie right. came out, 250 wow. British babies <laughs> had that name. <laughs> and by the year 2007, there were 1,100 new omelets every year. Well, that's interesting. And the number well, has held you? steady. Yeah. yeah. In the U.S., not quite as much. You know, Amelie arrived on the scene in 2003, you know, in the like right, top thousand right, baby right. names kind of thing. But it has jumped up to like number 800 and has been gaining since I mean, on is popularity. It, is it different than just the English version of Emily? I mean, yeah. Isn't that the... It yeah. Is they're just saying... It's a translated okay. uh, Emily, but we're not counting that in, okay. this, in these numbers. Gotcha. Gotcha. We're counting as actually Amelie, which is spelled A-M-E-L-I-E. Right. The film was criticized by some to have not shown enough racial diversity. I, I Yeah, I was going to mention that. that there's Yeah, they're all white. There, it, there's one zene with three... Um, people of color and walking pretty quickly walking out of the yeah. train station behind yeah. her. Yeah. And you kind and of that, think it's aggressive, right. right? Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that in comparison to the rest of the film. They don't do it. anything. Yeah. They're no, just walking they're just by her walking, but they're, very quickly. Yeah. That's true. But it's interesting because racial tension in Paris is pretty well documented. Like it's mm. particularly with the Haitian community. Right. Right. Um, there's a lot of that. And the, Young man, uh, Matthew Matthew Kas- Kas- Kasovitz. Kasovitz. One of the films that he directed 
was kind of like the counter of Amelie. Mm. And it was very serious, very violent. Here's, um, and it showcased the racial tension there mm. in Paris. It's like, if you're going to watch a movie about the Paris we all love and the people that are so eccentric yeah. and quirky and funny and human, watch Amelie. Right. But if you want to see one of the biggest problems, like Amelie <laughs> yeah. is like all of our Parisian strengths. Yes. Yes. I mean, the food, the music, the art, the love, all of that, right? In a contemporary f- field. But if you want to see all of Parisians' shame, <laughs> watch this one, you know? So he, he did that there. Um, that's really, uh, no, that's all I got. Well, then we will take a break. And we're back with Act 3. Our thoughts on the film and our candy score. Reviews. Okay. Justin, are there any scenes that stood out to you? Like things that you remember after you watched the movie? Like maybe thought about them the day after? The the entire opening sequence that, that you just mentioned there that goes with young Amelie. Yeah, that goes from <laughs> her conception. The mm-hmm. the amount of the amount of detail um, given in the narration because you, the, you there is a narrator you know speaking throughout it who gives yes. you you know more information than you need to know about yeah. these characters you know which is very funny like what they hate yeah. the list of things they hate <laughs> the list of things they like yeah this guy so. plays chess on Thursdays you know I mean it's just things that you're like okay but the entire opening sequence is he's you know narrating and and going. You know, over her life, and um, you know, we we meet her and, and her parents, and you know, what are they about? And then up to where she's basically somewhere, you know, between eighteen and twenty, um, and and leaves leaves home. leaves home. You know, that whole sequence probably takes less than ten minutes. Yeah, um, and you feel like you know you know them very well. Yeah, uh, you know you That's know those, true. those characters really well. The <laughs> Sorry, one of the funnier scenes uh, that it, it's so. So what she does, um, Amelie occasionally goes out on her balcony and mm-hmm. wonders how many people are having orgasms. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, I wouldn't know then, what scene you were going right. to talk about. And and then it shows uh, fifteen people um, in, in like in a montage. Yeah, in in their, of their moment of, of intimacy um, without being. You know, necessarily pornographic or uh, no, it wasn't or grotesque or anything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was various types of people yeah. too. And then it comes back to her, and she goes fifteen, <laughs> and just smiles. And um, <laughs> you know, that's oh, funny. She is great. I would just she's absolutely phenomenal in this role. I'd be mm-hmm. curious to see her in other things. I think I watched Vinci Code, but don't remember her uh, role in it. Somebody described uh, her as the actress and her character as. Someone who has a secret and has to tell it. Just the the look on their their, their face there. It's like, oh, I've got. Uh, yeah, I've got like something. she has pressure behind her <laughs> mouth and her yes. eyes. Like I'm going to tell you yeah. something, or I'm going to explode. Yep. And <laughs> and just yeah, her her delight in in so many of the of the simple things. Um, a, a bit of the films, a bit of kind of a an ASMR um, <laughs> experience. Or you're just, you know, dragging your hands through, you know, the uh, a sand or, you know, just the, the way things sound and the, the different things that people take delight in. Yeah, I can't stand ASMR. So it's quick enough and it's, yeah, it moves yeah. quickly that it doesn't grate my nerves. But yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that there's 
just with the with the orchestration mm-hmm. of the music and the dialogue and the sounds of the city yes you know going through doors coffee going <laughs> off yeah. Uh, yeah. steamers pen scratching like it's so much the sounds um of life like i feel like the director wanted you to sense this movie with as many senses as you could i think that's 100 percent correct yes and and all of the the connections to pictures and paintings uh, of course, we we mentioned the glass man, right? Who, who's every year he he reproduces Renoir's, what's the the boating party? Yeah, um, and and every year he he does uh, another version of it, and yeah, to learn and to grow yeah, as yeah. a painter and to get the characters right. And so mm-hmm. you know, his story and his interaction with Amelie is is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that that Amelie falls in love with, um, you know, his quirkiness is that <laughs> he. Uh, he likes to to pick up the discarded photographs when people go to like you know one of those little photo, photo booths, booths, yeah. And then they they look at their picture and they're like, oh, yeah, that's I don't like jet. this one. Yeah, and they tear it mm-hmm. up and then throw it away. He he likes to pick them up and put them back together, um, and keeps a scrapbook. Keeps of them it, in an album, which you would think is creepy. <laughs> uh, I mean, if this were a different kind of movie, it would right. be very creepy, right? There's there's enough of those things, and you know, um, Amelie's sense of of her own justice, you know, uh, but, but ev- all of the characters play it. So honestly, yes, yes. With it, a sense of innocence yeah, about them. Yes. And, and the, you don't feel creeped out by them. It's humanity. Um, and even one of the subplots uh, is that the, the guy who takes the, the photographs is trying to find, mm-hmm. um, this one man because he has, he has found his photographs in photo booths all over the city. Yeah, so they found this one guy yeah. who has taken his pictures and ripped it up, and he has the same expression yeah. in every one, and it's in the train stations, in all of them, in every subway station. Right. Yeah, so they're trying to figure out, you know, who is this guy and why is he doing this? And, of course, my mind goes to serial killer. Right. You know, that's he, he's some kind of a, you know, Craze, Louis kill somebody. Yeah, and go get, take this picture. Mm-hmm. And Amelie's response is, maybe he's a ghost. Right? <laughs> maybe <laughs> he's a ghost. Only exists when he gets his picture taken. <laughs> That's when his <laughs> his physical self can only be seen. He doesn't want to be forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you do end up who he is, which we're not going to say. Right. Yeah. But we'll you do end up who, knowing who he is at the end. And again, we just yeah, delightful film. Yeah. Um, any scenes that stand out to you? Um. Yeah, so I like there's a there's a bunch running through my head right now actually, but I think instead of it just being particular scenes, there were moments when I related to the thoughts of the film mm-hmm. where like, oh yeah, I've thought that too. There was so much of that. Oh, I thought that or oh yeah, I hate it when that happens mm-hmm. too or yeah. I you know, like he really has his pulse on on people who like to look at things from the other side. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, or who are outside looking in. Yeah. 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 And notice the, the backside of things. Mm-hmm. Or if you flip something mm-hmm. upside down and really want to look at, at things a different way so that you can understand them when they're facing you in their right side up ways. Yep. Much better. And so I related a lot to that aspect of the film. Um, the camera work, I thought, was really great. And there's one scene in particular where, as an example, Nino... Mm-hmm. Right. Is the guy that she has fallen yeah. in love with. 
or in at least infatuation with right now. Sure. She doesn't know him, but you know, it's there and it's French. <laughs> so it's love. <laughs> so it's love. <laughs> and um, she kind of has him on this wild goose chase yeah. to find her oh. and to find out who she is. And he's at the cafe where she works and he's sitting there waiting for her. She's working and is so nervous and so scared. She comes behind him to write the menu up on this glass, this glass marker board, yep. right? And he's, she's looking like right down at him and he like turns and recognizes her in the photo that he has, the photo booth photo, where she's dressed up like Zorro, which right. is really funny because <laughs> there's a scene about that anyway. One of her justice things. Yes. She imagined herself as Zorro and whipping the Z <laughs> on the door. Ha ha ha. You got your just desserts. Yeah. Anyway. And we laughed very hard. Then he leaves. She says, he's like, is this you? And she's like, shakes her head no. And she's so timid and shy, but yeah. she does these really brazen things yeah. on the inside, mm-hmm. right? But she doesn't want to get caught doing them. He leaves, and she's, like, on the verge of, like, saying something like, yes, it's me, yes. And she doesn't. And she turns into, like, water yeah. and, just and just melts yeah. all over the floor. And I love that because I think we've all been in situations where we felt that way. Like, we totally have this chance to do something really brave, but it would take all of our heart and we just can't. And, we, <sighs> right? Yeah, it was that feeling in a visual sense. Um, so I love that. I, and I loved a lot of that, too. Anything well, you didn't like or that bothered you? Uh, no, not that I, I, I didn't like or that bothered me. Um, I didn't have any strong criticisms from it, and then no, I thought I yeah. thought it was it was a really uh, an enjoyable film. Anything that bothered you about it? Yes, the fact I had to read it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yet I was well, listening I didn't to say that part. Well, that would sound stupid. I, well, no, it's I don't <laughs> mind an international film. I don't. I think that there's a lot to be gained from watching international films, especially French films, because their characters. And the way that they view the world through that lens is so uh, remarkable. Yeah. It is. That's why I think U.S. directors want French directors' inputs mm-hmm. and help and aid. You know, when you are little and you want to dress up as a film director for Halloween, you're a yeah. French film director, right. right? You've got the little beret. Yep. You've got the – like, there's a reason for that. So I adore that. My problem is that I want to watch the movie. I want to see these things happening. And I can't look at the reading and look at the what's what's happening, especially if it moves quickly. So it was frustrating to me that I didn't know the language well enough Mm -hmm. to be able to just watch the film in its in its tongue and be okay with that. So there were some things that were slower that were better, but there was some like, no, I missed that part. And I wanted to see her face, but I was reading the words. I agree. I'm always amazed at how quickly your brain does adjust it does. to those. Mm-hmm. Um, but still this, this was one that had a lot of, uh, it had a lot of dialogue. And so mm-hmm. uh, you were, the narration. You were reading mm-hmm. quite a bit mm-hmm. and that can distract. That's fair. Yeah. Well, let's give it our candy score. Sure. And as a review, we start our candy score at the bottom with Milk Dud. Then we go up to Lemonheads, Good and Plenty, Bunch of Crunch, and Hot Tamale. Kelly, what are you giving this one? Yeah, so I'm giving this one a Hot Tamale. Whoa. I'd watch it right now. Wow. Really? You're surprised about that? I am. <laughs> you do not pull out the Hot Tamale lightly. I think E.T. was that the is, only other one yeah. that I did that for. No, that's true. I don't. 
Yeah, no, it's cinnamon candy worthy in my viewpoint. Like, I want to watch it again and again and again so that I have it in my head and then I can just watch it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Plus, I adore France. I adore the French language. Um, I I liked seeing Paris, modern Paris, contemporary Paris again in 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 its own flesh. You mm, know, like yeah. when you see American films or American Netflix series is, <laughs> uh, set in Paris, it's not Paris. Right. It's right. Americans in Paris yeah, or whatever, yeah. and it's it's different than this is a French writer, French filmmaker, French actors, the French people. Mm-hmm. In their city. So it's like when you watch SVU or what is the, the crime, the crime show. Yeah. Law and Order. There okay, it is. Right. <laughs> when like, and it's New Yorkers in New York. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> but you can also tell if like, oh, these are LA actors in New York, you know, like, sure. I just felt like it, it just invited me into that atmosphere and I, and it's comfortable for me. I enjoy it a lot. Wow. Well, there you go. I, um, <laughs> we, we talked about this on our last episode. We don't, you know, typically come in with our with our answers or with our candy score here locked in. Uh, and I like to, to, as we're going through, you know, kind of the podcast and, and our discussion can change it. I would I would have come in at a at a good and plenty. I think having discussed the film more through this podcast, I, I'm leaning more toward bunch of crunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would have said, you know what, it it, it was it was an enjoyable movie. Um, you know, I I had a great time. You know, watching it, and I'd be okay with not watching it again. I mean, cool. I saw Sounds that. Sounds like a good and plenty then. Uh, which is where I was going. Yeah. But then the more that we talk about it, the more I'm like, you know, I, I could kind of watch that again, catch some of those things. <laughs> um, so so maybe I, I'll, I'll go in here with a, with a good and crunch. A good and crunchy. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that does um, not sound like an appetizing candy. Not delicious. <laughs> what is the, nice. What's our next film? Well, uh, we're going to be watching 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men. Which I've only read the play, and it was a really long time ago, like high school. Yeah, me school. too. Yep. I don't remember the, the court case. It might have even just been a couple scenes from the yep. play. And I said I read the whole thing. All right. Well, that'll be coming at you next up then. So thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to give us a five-star review, and uh, you can share the episodes that you enjoy. Contact us on Instagram, Popcorn on Your Knee, or send us an email at popcornonyourknee@gmail.com. Wait. Oh, no. There's more. We've made it past our 100 downloads. We have. Yes. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you so yeah. much for listening. That was exciting. I know in all the podcast land, that's like nothing. But to us, we've just been doing this for fun and because we love movies. We know so many of you love movies, too, and love talking about them. Um, but it's just something fun for us to do, you know? Yep. Um, and we like movies anyway. That It's great. And the fact that it's been – we're only on movie seven – Right. And we already have 100 downloads. That's really awesome. So thank you guys Even so much. We have just gotten started. So next stop, 1,000. <laughs> That's right. Join us next time. And don't forget the popcorn. <laughs>